Good to see you here tonight. And um, we've been, we're going to hear from the evangelists in a few moments. So if they want to come on the platform, those of them who have got something to say, Brett, come and tell us, give us a report. Uh, later on, we're going to be releasing the ministry team to prophesy and give some words this evening. So we're looking forward to that. Welcome. Up you come, Brett. Oh, I need a microphone. Um, for those of you that are new, one of the things that we've been doing this year is that every Sunday afternoon we take out teams onto the streets uh, to witness and, and uh, tell people about Jesus and also invite people to the Sunday evening services. And um, we do that every Sunday. And what time do you meet downstairs, Brett? Uh, 4.15. 4.15. And you're welcome to join us. Uh, anyway, tell us what's happened today, Brett. Tell us the story. Yeah, we just met downstairs uh, at quarter past four. And we're just really praying and waiting on the Lord and just want to pray pacific prayers, short prayers that you know, come, come from the heart of God. And uh, basically we realized that we all had testimonies of where God had brought us from. So we revisited that and we started praying uh, for particular things that would come through for them type of people that we would encounter on the street. And uh, I've had one testimony from uh, one of the teams at Shepherd's Bush that they were praying for a, uh, you know, particular people that felt uh, lonely and rejected as that person had come through that and overcome that themselves. And uh, that person uh, met, another, met that person on the street and led them to Christ and Actually, they're amongst us tonight. So let's give God praise for that. So, like, so, so like prophetic evangelism, you're praying and, and, and hearing from God about the people that you're going to meet today. Is that the way Lord, the Holy Spirit was leading? Yeah, that's why it was today. Um, yeah. And we started from the scripture, Isaiah 54, verse 3, or 53, verse 4, just about how Jesus was despised. He was rejected. He was bruised for our iniquity. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, you know. And basically, there's people out there that, that are in that condition right now, and they don't have to be because Christ has borne all that for them. So we're praying for that. Now, uh, I myself have a testimony, and I was praying according to that line, and I met two people, uh, you know, that, that were in the same sort of thing that God had, has brought me out of. But in all, I think we have eight people that come to the Lord. I personally led seven people to Christ tonight, so we give, give God seven. seven people. You, personally, yeah. seven. What I realise, I think there's more people out there that are ready to get saved. And they are ready to get saved. I said they're ready to get saved. But what we're doing is we're not quite skilled in actually bringing them to that place where they understand the light of the gospel and how to either make a decision or reject Christ. We often let people take us down a path where they're now leading us in the conversation. Now, Christ didn't say go into all the world and debate the gospel. <laughs> he said go and preach it. So, you know, just there's a, there's, a, there's a way I've just been trying to teach the team now that we're going to take on board, and hopefully we're going to see the amount of people that get, get saved come go through the roof. And I'm after the robbers, the robbers that are on the cross next to Jesus, that give their life to Jesus and then die and meet him in paradise the next day. I'm after those that are going to come and be healed and actually be a part of the church and follow Christ and go on and do great exploits for the Lord. So you've got a leading from the Lord to reach out to robbers. To robbers. Especially, yeah. especially. No, seriously. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Well, in the sense that it is, we are in an urgent hour, people of God. It is urgent. 
you know, like we, we want to see disciples and people added to ourselves and amen and amen, I'm for that. But there's people that uh, you're going to come across your path that, may, that their life's running out. You know, they're, they're, they're moments away, days away, maybe months away from death. And if they die in their sin, it's not going to be good for them. Do we understand that? You know, so although Jesus didn't say go into all the world and make decisions, they need to make a decision to come out of their sin and come into Christ. Amen. Step one. And then we'll, we'll, we'll believe them and make them followers and, and disciples. Wonderful. Amen. Thanks, Brett. Bless you. And uh, ministry team, have you got some words for later on? Marjorie, have you got a word for later on, a prophetic word? You will do. <laughs> no pressure, though. No pressure. <laughs> they don't look. Yeah, right at the end, as we come out of the end of the ministry, I'm going to get the ministry team up, and as the Lord leads, um, they're going to give prophetic words for us to minister out of um, tonight. I bring you greetings from our senior minister, Colin Dye, and his wife, Amanda. They have been ministering in Indonesia recently. Uh, those of you that are regulars here know that Colin has a television teaching program called Sword of the Spirit, and uh, that goes on a, web, um, a television station called Kingdom Sat, or El Marikut, and we decided as a church to put our resources in TV to those that don't know the Lord. That's why you won't see us yet on British uh, Christian TV. It's not that we're against it. We're just, we just, when you've got limited resources, you have to do with it what you feel the Lord is leading. So this satellite reaches North Africa, the Middle East, and it's free to air, so it's not like you have to get a special satellite. Anybody can watch this channel. It's having a tremendous effect there, but they've also just increased the footprint of this kingdom sat right over Indonesia as well, and we know that that is where the majority of Muslim people are, and uh, they need an opportunity to hear the gospel. So Colin's out there. Uh, I spoke to him earlier this morning, and he preached in a church in Bali, and uh, it was a church with five services during the day, just like us, but it wasn't the main church. That was a satellite church with five services. And um, there's a move of God going on in Bali. And so it was exciting to hear the good report from Colin about what's happening there. I'm looking forward to hearing him bring the news home as he returns uh, early next week. Also, a great thank you from all the leadership for your participation in our missions month. Uh, we're very excited about it. We're excited about the fervor and the, ex and, and the prayer that took place throughout that month. The early morning prayer meetings were growing and growing and growing and we're seeking the Lord whether to bring that back in September and October and the half night of prayer and the prayer in the cells with the uh, uh, prayer booklet and diary. Very exciting. Also exciting is the fundraising that went on. We did have a gift day here at Kensington Temple for our missions, but much of the money was actually raised by cell groups and groups of cells who did all types of things. Uh, even yesterday, Michelle Collins, PA, her cell groups got together and they went down to this huge big car boot sale and sold enough to get 300 pounds for the mission's vision. And you know, it's great, isn't it? And, and, and there's been people doing sponsored football, and Gabriel had a sponsored growing of his beard. And thank God that's over, but he raised 
over 200 pounds for a beard. Praise God. Isn't that great? That's great. And then, then that's an expensive beard. And then, and then out there in the car park, we had wonderful food fairs. And, met, and the people that, that made the food, they donated the food. So often when we do a food fair, we say, oh, will you help us? We'll pay for the, you know, the ingredients. But many people that did that, uh, there, was, there was beautiful food from the Caribbean, beautiful food from the Philippines, India, all over the place. It was excellent, and that raised thousands of pounds. And altogether, so far, we had a goal, a godly goal, of raising 50,000 pounds. And to date, it's around 44,000 pounds. And things are still coming in. So if anyone's got a spare 6,000 pounds and wants to finish it off tonight, you're very welcome to do that. So, excellent. And, of course, missions is every month. But we just felt it was good to have a proper focus on it for the whole church. And we're going to be rolling this out. This isn't the end. It's not, it's not mission over after missions month. We're going to be doing more and more. And specifically, we're excited about partnering in Romania, planting new churches in Romania, plant, planting church, helping plant churches in Algeria as, as well. The Romanians in the house today. We might send you to plant some. How about that? You'd love to do it. Good for you. Isn't that great? Amen. And, um, and, all the, and of course, you can still get, if you're new to us, you can still from reception get our missions prayer diary because that can take place month after month. It wasn't just for July. And that missions prayer diary you can get from reception, that will tell you the different areas of the world that we're already involved in, our, des- our designs for the future, and also there's a good prayer. So keep praying. Keep that prayer diary going through August. And we're looking at maybe taking this prayer on into the, the, the autumn time. Wonderful. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21. I am going to be speaking this week, next week, and depending on the, how the material goes, possibly uh, the next opportunity that I get on the topic of People of the promise. And the reason that I'm doing this is I think that one of the basic, what can I say? One of the, one of the, one of the basic facts of Christian living is being missed by many Christians. And that's concerning to me. I feel that many Christians are living a moral life They are doing things, they're hoping that God's going to come through for them, but there isn't sufficient focus in their lives for God to mature them as he wants to mature them and take them to the place that he wants them to do. And I believe that that is because many Christians do not understand that the Christian life is one of promise, believing God's promise, and by the partnership of the Holy Spirit, seeing it come to pass. So a lot of Christians are just drifting. Thank God God uses us anyway. I understand God's grace. But they're drifting. They're sort of like, well, I know what I'm meant to do as a Christian. I know that I'm meant to be a good Christian. I know there are, there, there's standards and morals. And, and, and that's all very well. But there's no focus. There's, there's no sense of journey on this. And when we look at the Bible, we find that Abraham is our model 
and that Abraham, according to Romans chapter 4, is the father of all who believe, the father of all that, has, that have faith. Romans 4 also tells us that we are to walk in the footsteps of our father Abraham. Now, where did Abraham walk? Well, he walked a whole journey of promise, didn't he? And so when God met with Abraham, he met him with a promise. And all that Abraham became was because of the promise of God to him. You know, when Abraham was around, there wasn't any rules or regulations, were there? There was no law. The law would come 340 or 60 years later. Abraham was law-free. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. But God gave him a promise. And everything that Abraham needed to grow in his faith and maturity with God and receive the promise, everything was about following that promise. You see, there needs to come into our lives a focal point. I know the focal point is Jesus, but Jesus is taking us on a journey, and that is a journey of promise. And so Abraham spent his whole life following the promise, the promised land of Canaan, and also the promise of having an Isaac. And where he failed and where his immaturity showed, it showed in his dealings with the promise, didn't it? The promise exposed his immaturity. When he failed God, it was to do with the promise. And when he matured, it was to do with the promise. And when he was successful, it was to do with the promise. It was like the promise of God. Around the promise of God, his whole life revolved for better or for worse. So he had his Ishmael, didn't he? Ishmael, having Ishmael was a sin, wasn't it? Because God had said, you will have a miracle child called Isaac. So when Abraham sinned, it was to do with the promise. But when Abraham believed, it was also to do with the promise. Everything was to do with the promise. And finally, he came to such a level of maturity with the promise that God had given him that God could say, take, up, take your son, take him on that mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham said, all right, I'll do that. But if I sacrifice Isaac you're going to have to raise him from the dead. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us this was his thinking. You're going to have to raise him from the dead if I kill him because you said in Isaac would be my seed. And God was taken aback. He was amazed at the faith of Abraham that Abraham had so grown in his relationship with God through the promise that he knew that God, you can, I'll kill him, but you'll have to raise him from the dead. He had a resurrection faith. And we know that, again, Romans 4 tells us that the God of Abraham, what was the God of Abraham? The God of Abraham, God whom Abraham believed, that gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they were. If you're a Christian, that's your own, that, are the, that is the two basic things you need to know about your God that he calls those things that are not as though they were. What's that? It's the promise, isn't it? It's when God comes through his word, through scripture or through prophetic ministry or in our prayer time, and he speaks to us, he calls into us, and he calls something that isn't, that hasn't taken place, but he calls it as though it has. 
because God is the Alpha and the Omega. There's no time limit with God. If God says something's going to happen, as far as he's concerned, it's happened. may not have manifested on the earth, but it's happened. And so that's the God. What about us? Do we have promises from, the future, for, from God? Promises for our life? Do you have a promise for your child? I've got promises for my children. I didn't just pick them out of Scripture. I mean, even, even the name of my son, not the name of my daughter, we chose that, but my name, the name of the son was given to me by God. God spoke to us in circumstances and confirmed his word that we would have a firstborn, that we would have a son, and that his name would be Jacob, you see. He didn't do that with Charlotte. God does what God does, do you know what I mean? We chose that name, Charlotte, but God... God wants to speak to us. God wants to speak into our lives. God has promises for us. We can go to the promises of Scripture, but God also has personalized promises for each one of our lives. And like Abraham, those are the promises we live by. So that we can say, I have promise over my life. I have promise over my family. I have promise in this area given to me by God, by the Spirit. I have promise... And that God has promised me and he's called and promised me things that are not, but he's speaking as though they are. He wants me to have as much confidence in his promise as he does. God who calls those things that are not as though they were the promise. Secondly, Abraham in Romans 4 believed the God that gives life to the dead. Well, I already mentioned that. He said, okay. I'll sacrifice Isaac because you're going to have to raise him up from the dead because your promise is more powerful than death. It was a type of faith of Christ, isn't it? And so we need to believe that God not only gives promises, but he has power to bring life from the dead. Because often when God gives us, not all the time, but often when God gives us a promise, sometimes it will look like the promise dies. Sometimes we'll, we'll get to the place Abraham or Sarah gets to and we will sort of say to ourselves, it's just not going to happen. It's dead. It's finished. It's dead and buried. Oh, let's go and find an Ishmael. So sometimes what we face, situations that we face, we need God's promise. We need God's promise for Europe again, don't we? Because thank God for the good stuff that's happening in places like Wales. But Europe is dead. Dead. Billions of people dying in their sins. And we need a promise for Europe, to raise Europe from the dead. That's what we need. We, we, don't, we don't just want to hope. We need a promise. That we need promises for every aspect of our lives. And I said, you don't, you don't make the promise. God makes the promise. That's why you need the Spirit and the Word in operation in our lives. We have a promise over Kensington Temple. Promises for Kensington Temple. For us to believe and also to partner with the Holy Spirit. Some of the promises are that the glory of the latter house of Kensington Temple will be greater than the glory of the former when it was birthed in revival. Another promise given to us was that, um, uh, that, that an elder in the 70s saw people coming through the door in a vision into Kensington Temple and written on their heads was, was hearers of the word. But when they came out, written on their heads was doers of the word. Another promise, challenge given to us by Canon James Wong was that for us to re reach where God wants us to be, we had to become a most effective disciple-making church in London. You see, there's others as well. So what do you do? It, you know, Colin doesn't just forget these things. He takes prophecy very serious. 
And so the whole way that our church is formed and moving forward is shaped by those promises. Do you hear what I'm saying? So we are moving towards promise. Of course, you have to believe the promise and you have to attain the promise. It doesn't come automatically. There has to be a partnership. And so we believe that God can do the miraculous and uh, call those things that are not as though they were the promise, but also bring resurrection power to bring those promises to pass, even if it looks impossible. Resurrection power. The Christian faith is not based on rules and regulations. The Christian faith is based on one fact, one fact from which all facts come, that Jesus is not dead in a grave, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Without the resurrection of Christ from the dead, Paul says we are above all men to be pitied and our faith is null and void. But if Christ be raised from the dead, which he is, then the resurrection power of God is available through the Holy Spirit to bring God's promises to pass. We looked and identified last week, and I really encourage you, if you are watching on internet or if you weren't here last Sunday, please, I encourage you to go and on our website, on our media page, and see the sermon that I brought last week, because it's all linked together. And we, we, we read from Galatians 4.22, where we are, that, um, uh, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But the son of the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. And then uh, later on, verse 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It's the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. In this passage, we see promise, faith, and the work of the spirit. This is what we need in our lives. Promise, faith, and the partnership of the spirit. So we spoke about Isaac and we spoke about Ishmael and we compared them last week because we, like Isaac, are children of the promise. In other words, when we look at the character of Isaac, we see the character that we, ha- we should have. And when we look at the character of Ishmael, we look at the character that, that we should not have and that we should run away from. I must have been jet-lagged last Sunday night because when we spoke about Isaac, I kept, kept saying that Isaac married Rachel. I meant Isaac married Rebecca. Why didn't you shout and tell me? You sh- Marjorie, you should have come on the platform. You should have said, he's speaking false. So um, excuse me for that mistake. I blame Marjorie for not having the faith to stand and correct the false preaching that was going on at, at, that, at that time. You got a word yet for later on? No pressure. No pressure. And so we identified them. I don't want to go over it too much, but it is worth in passing. Ishmael was not born of the spirit. Ishmael was born of the flesh. It was human engineering, and God was not involved with it. We saw that that Ishmael in character was a man of the world, and that uh, 
he wanted all that the world could give him. And Ishmael became an extremely successful man. Uh, when he went away, he, he, uh, he was a fighter. He was a great warrior. Um, he married many different women from different, different places. He was rich, successful, and nations would come from him. But Isaac was extremely different. While Ishmael was out there in the world, we see that when Isaac found his wife, Rebekah, Isaac was doing what he did every day. He was out in the fields meditating. He understood that the, prayer, that the promise is birthed by prayer and that closeness to God is the most important thing in our, in our lives. The promise was at the basis of Isaac's life and everything about Isaac, just like his father, was to do with the promise. When Isaac dealt with difficult situations, he dealt with it by the promise. He didn't resort to fleshly means. So when he went to unstop the wells, well after well, every time he dug up a well, someone came and contended and wanted to fight for the well. And Isaac said, you can have it because I've got my promise. God is with me. And God came through for him with the promise. He learned the lessons of his father. When his father entered the promised land where God said he would bless him, Abraham, God says, go to the promised land and I'll bless you there. Abraham went into the promised land and as he went in, everybody was going out because there was a famine. And so Abraham turned around and said, I better go with them where the food is to Egypt. He should have stayed. God would have provided for him. That was the beginning of his troubles because it was in Egypt when they took a slave girl, Hagar, and it was in Egypt when Abraham, not believing the promise that Sarah would give him a child, said, oh, she's my sister and gave, him to another man, gave her to another man because he was out of the place where God wanted him to be. But Isaac, when there was famine in the land, what did Isaac do? He sowed. He thought, I'm under the promise. I'm not under the power of this world or what the world says the conditions of my life are. I don't live according to natural conditions. I live according to the promise of God. And therefore, I will sow as I normally sow. I am in God's place. This is God's promise in my life. Everybody else can run away. Well, maybe they don't have a promise from God, and they should. I have God's promise, and that's what I live by. He sowed, and he reaped a hundredfold, more than he would have got, if the natural circumstances have been correct. That's a signal to us that when we walk according to the promise, we are immune in that, uh, where the promise speaks to us, we are immune from the enemy and we are immune from natural circumstances because the promise will get us through. Wednesday morning at um, Colin's primary uh, meeting, which I was taking in his absence, uh, we, we watched a, a uh, TBN movie on Paul, the emissary, the Apostle Paul. And it was wonderful to see a film, because you read it in the scriptures, but you get something when it's portrayed as a film. And God gave Paul a promise when he was in prison and when he was like a bit distraught. God turned up and he spoke to him and promised, said, you're going to go to Rome, I promise you, and you're going to testify to me in Rome. Paul was given a promise and you know what? When you look at Acts, he, he, he followed the promise. He got on that boat and he said, this boat's going to be shipwrecked. But don't worry, we're all going to survive. Good job that you're on a boat with somebody that's got a man of a promise. Because 
if Paul was the man of the promise on the boat and God, and God said, I'm taking you to Rome, then stick to the man with the promise. He's, he's indestructible. And then he gets off, doesn't he? And, 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 and he's totally fearless. Why? Because of the promise. And we, I saw on this film the fearlessness of Paul because of the promise. In other areas, he might be thinking this, that, and the other, but one thing he knew, he had a promise for this, and he was fearless. So he gets up and he's starting a fire when they're shipwrecked. And what happens? Snake. And everybody's finished. It's a viper or whatever it was. You're dead. You're going to die. And they're all waiting for him to sort of like die. Shakes it off. What are you doing? I told you I've got a promise. I'm going to Rome. I'm indestructible according to where this promise speaks in. And so when you go through the history of Scripture, these people had promises and the safest place to be and the strongest place to be is where God's promise is and so when you go to Hebrews chapter 11 um, well let, let, let's let's do that's where I feel let, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall, faith's hall of fame where we go through all these men and women who believed the promise that God gave to them. And you see that God always deals with his children according to the promise. If you're Isaac, there's got to be a promise involved, hasn't there? If you're, I if you're Ishmael, if God dealt with you as Ishmael, and many non-Christians are Ishmael, many Christians act like Ishmael. They don't have any promise or partnership with the Spirit, they're just drifting along. Or they're trying to make religion, Christian religion, work for them. But here in Hebrews chapter 11, you see the majority of these people were given promises. And you've got a big thing here about Abraham and the promise. I don't need to go in detail. And, but, but if we look at verse 13, um, excuse me a second, find my page. Yeah, look at verse 13. See the faith and the promise here. Verse 13, Hebrews 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Now, there's an interesting thing. You might say, oh, it's a bit disappointing. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. So the first thing I can say is that all of them had a promise. True? God gave all of them promises. And their response, which is being applauded in Hebrews 11, their response is that they had faith. But the, the incredible thing here is some of those promises did take place during their lifetime. God promised Noah that rain was coming. Did it come? And he was prepared for it. But what this is talking about is that they were not only having promises for their life, but they had promises that went beyond the grave. In particular, many of them had the promise of the coming Messiah. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and believed. And so you might think, well, isn't that a bit bad that God gave them some promises and they believed those promises and it says here they didn't receive the things promised? You might think, oh, 
Or if you promised to give me something and I didn't get it, I'd be a bit disappointed. If you promised to give me a Christmas present, feel free, and Christmas Day came and it's the Christmas service and I'm hanging around at the end waiting to meet you and and I'm saying, hi, how are you? And you didn't give me the Christmas present that you promised. Exactly. Be disappointed. But you see, here is an important lesson. Often, it's not the actual thing promised that you receive that is the most important thing, but it's the journey of believing that which you're receiving. So, even, God could have given Isaac in a moment, in nine months, bang, couldn't he? But Abraham waited, what, 50 years? Why? Because when you believe in God's promises for your life, and especially his specific ones, then what happens is immediately God starts working on you. Immediately you begin to be shaped by the promise. The promise is your journey. Things will attack the promise. You'll have maybe trials or tests of the promise. But as you are following the promise of God for your life, both scripture promise and personal promise revealed to you, you become exactly the person you're meant to be. Maybe you make a few mistakes on the way according to the promise, but you become who you are. You don't just become who God wants you to be by general praying or general Christian morality or generally doing Christians or just do. You become who God wants you to be by pursuing the promise. It's the promise that shapes you, the promise that makes you. And in the end, what, what God was most pleased with was the man that Abraham had become. The miracle was the easy bit. But without that waiting, without the patience that was needed, Abraham would have never have become the man he became. And God is more interested in your character than your output. He's more interested in what's being formed inside you than what you can produce. Uh, but, and, and, and in fact, when you're fully formed, what you, you can produce more in a moment than you can over years of being um, immature in the things of the promise the spirit, and faith. So they saw things far off. But you see, even though the promise, some of the promises that they saw, Christ, did not occur, they still walked according to them. Do you see what I'm saying? You see, we have promises of rewards and blessings in the kingdom to come. But we also must see the promise of God. Some of the things promised to us are eternal. Paul had this he fixed his mind not on things that were below but things that were above and he walked by faith and not by sight and he said look all this stuff I've gone through is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory he said you see I've got my, my eye fixed on the coming king I've got my eye fixed. Jesus promised he was coming soon. And I believe that, Paul said. And so everything that I have to go through on the earth is worth it because I believe the promise of the time that's coming. I believe Jesus will return. I believe in heaven. I believe in the reward. My eyes are fixed on the promises, not just promises for my life. God will give you promises for today, for tomorrow. But Paul saw the fixed promises of Scripture, and so his life was tuned to eternal promises so that he could live his life on earth. It had nothing to do with the Ten Commandments, nothing to do with Christian morality, rules or regulations. Paul was sanctified through the promises. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate In the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. First thing we see is that God has given us power. Power for what? Power for living. Power to pursue the promise. He has given, He has called us, given us power, and He's given us great and precious promises. And through these promises, we escape the corruption, pollution of the fallen world. So in other words, if you want to be sanctified, if you want to be sanctified, it's not just about stop doing evil, stop sinning. It's far better than that. Just stop doing these negative things. You know, you never deal with sin by just stop doing it. I'll just stop doing it. I'll just stop doing it. I'll just... No, you have to turn and pursue something else. So when you move to the promises of God for your life, then what happens is it has a sanctifying effect on your life. Um, Let me see where I'm going to go from this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If we go to 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 18... Did Paul tell Timothy, Timothy, obey the rules and regulations of the church, be moral, and you do generally good Christian stuff? No, he didn't. He said to him, if I can find it, uh, 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. Timothy, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith. So what did Paul say to Timothy? He said the promises, the prophetic promises over your life, Timothy. Don't ignore them. Recall them. Use them. And fight the battle well. So in other words, you didn't give him like, oh, here's a leadership book, 101 on leadership. Oh, here's this, all those things are important. But he said, you know what, Timothy? Don't forget the promise of God over your life. Don't forget, recall them. And in fact, with your promises, fight the battle that life throws at you. Fight the battle. The promises of God, fight the battle that comes to you. Ephesians 6.17, Ephesians 6.17. In Ephesians 6, you have all this battle armor, don't you? Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, belt of truth. You have all these defensive things. You put on the armor of God. If you don't have an offensive weapon, you've just got the armor of God, what do you do? 
Well, you just stand there getting hit by the enemy, don't you? You're protected, but you just stand it. What sort of soldier would put on his armor and then go into the battle without a weapon? The best that can happen is that he's somehow protected from the buffeting of the enemy. But there is one offensive weapon that we find in Ephesians chapter um, 6, verse 17. And he says, and taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, there are two Greek words in the New Testament for word. There is logos. In the beginning was the logos. And the logos was God. And the logos was with God. Logos. And there is rhema. Rhema. What is the difference between logos and rhema? Well, logos is the general counsel and word of God. And we take that, we read it, we learn it, we believe it, we apply it. But rhema is different. Rhema is the word made personally promised for you. Rhema is the word taken either from the scriptures or a prophecy in line with scriptures and it is God's word with your name on it, personalized. That's rhema. And the sword of the Spirit, the word, the sword, when it says take the sword of the Spirit, there's many different words for sword. And there was different types of swords that the Romans would use. They would, could use big, long, one-edged, broad swords just to generally hack at the enemy. But this sword that they were speaking about, which is Rhema, this sword was the short Roman sword. And this sword was therefore precision battle. It was used as a precision instrument of battle. And so taking the sword of the Spirit, the rhema of God. And so again, what is that saying to us? It's saying that we fight and we live by the promises of God. The promises of God's scripture and also those specifically given to us. And so a rhema word, we need to be open to the Spirit speaking. And he can do this in many different ways. And I spoke about this last week and I want to speak about it again. That sometimes the most important, one of the most important things in your life must be your daily reading plan. You need to read the Bible every day. But you need to read the Bible with the Holy Spirit and with faith. You need a daily reading plan. I've got a daily reading Bible. And I, let me just encourage you. If you, don't have, if you don't read your Bible every day or most days, then why don't you go and get yourself... Um, a Selwyn Hughes Every Day with Jesus daily reading Bible. Uh, every day it has a portion of the scripture. Uh, you just buy it and you start the day that you get it and it'll take you through the Bible in a year. And, and it's all there. You don't have to flick from page to page. In one page, there is a portion of the Old, a portion of Psalms, a portion of Proverbs, a portion of the New Testament, all there for you. And you know what? If you miss a day, so what? If you forget to take it on holiday and you miss a week, so what? Don't give up. Some Christians get even legalistic about their regular Bible reading. How many of us have ever started in January and ended in March? Because you had 50 chapters to capture up, capture up. There was a period in my life where I knew Genesis and Exodus like the back of my hand. But halfway through Leviticus... I was finished. Why? Because I got behind of this happened, that happened, and I gave up. It's not about reading the Bible in a year. 
It's about reading the Bible daily. And so in your Bible reading plan, if you miss two days and there's too much to catch up, leave it, just go to the day you're at. The most important thing is you're coming under the influence of God's word. You, 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 take, you forget your Bible reading plan on holiday. You, you don't have to repent in sackcloth of ashes. Just start on the day you get back. It's regular Bible reading. Don't, don't get overdone by, I have to read the Bible in a year or not at all. Just regular. So I have a regular daily Bible reading plan. Sometimes I forget and I catch up. Sometimes I forget and I don't catch up. I just keep on going because I've learned it's regular. And God speaks. And God brings promises and rhema words. You see, as I said last week, and I really need to keep saying this. This is why I'm doing a little series on it. God has words for today. God has, God has words. For, promises and God's words can, can come in many different forms and many different ways. So God can speak a promise over your life that will be your end destiny. You hear what I'm saying? Or he can just give you a word for the week. Or you can be going to an interview or something like that, and God can speak to you and give you a promise about the interview, correct? And then when that interview's over in two days or whatever, now you can't force God to speak to you, but, but if you're open to it, you'll be surprised. Often I've found in difficult circumstances, I'm seeking the word of wisdom from the Lord. So there was a difficult circumstance I was in. I didn't know what to do. What should I do? What should I not do? And God gave me a word and he gave me a promise. And he said, and he basically said, leave it to me. And it will be sorted. It was a promise. Well, that was a really hard thing to do because there were situations where I thought, I can do something here. I can speak here. I can do, I can, I can, I can do something. And I'm like, what do I do? I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm in this situation that's quite important in my life. And I'm thinking, I've got an opportunity to intervene. I've got an opportunity to do something. But God said, leave it to me. What if God was wrong? Or what if I misheard him? This, this is called growing in maturity. Growing. Because that's exactly what Abraham said to himself. Is God wrong? Maybe he didn't say it. Maybe he meant me to do it, but God said to Abraham, I'll do it. Not you, I'll do it. And so, but using that promise in that circumstance, it, it, it kept me straight. Do you hear what I'm saying? God said, don't do anything, I'll do this for you. It was a promise. And so I didn't do anything, but that was hard work. But that, what did that do? What did that circumstance do? It tested me. Did I trust him? And what happened was, as I came through that circumstance, I tried God and God came through. And it sanctified me. Do you hear what I said? It changed me. I didn't manipulate things, perhaps, that I might have done. I believed God and God came through. This is how God wants us to live. And so we need to be open for God's words in our lives. Now, you say, well, what if I mishear God? Look, if you go to God with an honest heart... Even your honest mistakes, God will use to take you further. You hear what I'm saying? So don't worry about that. It is important to have a renewed mind. That's why it's important. I, I would say one of the most important things, if not the most important things, apart from following the promise, is to renew your mind. The New Testament is full of commands. Renew your mind. Get, what do you mean, renew my mind, Bruce? Get your mind lined up with the word. 
think like the word, think like God thinks, act like God thinks, get your mind straightened out with the word through obedience, and that will help you hear clearly. You see, there is a danger, carnal Christians will hear carnally. And I don't want you to do that. And like you said, oh no, I don't know. If you go to God with an honest heart and say, Lord, if I'm mishearing you, if I've got some blind spots, if, if, please just help me. I trust you, even in my mistakes. Do you know what? He'll come through for you. Because he'll guide you. He'll be a lamp to your steps. So, so don't think that, that you're on some sort of tightrope. That if you miss hearing God, you're finished. When I hear a word from God, or I believe I'm here, I'm saying, God, this is what I'm thinking I'm hearing, and I'm just praying that if I've missed it, you'll cover it. I'm just trying to believe you, Lord. Has God ever judged anyone for just trying to believe him? No. So you're free to believe God. You're free. And so you say, God, speak to me. If I miss it, cover it. You know, you, you, a, a prophecy is lined up with Christianity, I mean, with the word, and lined up with a renewed mind. And the fruit of the Spirit. If what God promises you causes harm and, and destruction to others, guess what? It's not God. But we could go into a whole series of how to hear God, couldn't we? I mean, that's not my purpose today. So we're hearing God. God is speaking to us at many different levels. As individuals, as a church, we can go to God and ask him to speak to us. Sometimes when he speaks to us, it comes directly from the word of God. I said last week, it's like, some Christians have a highlighter pen, don't they? And whenever they're reading the scriptures and they come to something they f that really hits them, they go, oh, oh, that's amazing, they highlight it. And so if you take a Christian's Bible with a, who uses highlight, you can see all the things in the Bible that have spoken to them. Well, a rhema word is like that. It's when God sometimes will take portions of the scripture, scriptures you know well, but what does he do? He activates it in your life. He takes the highlighter of the Holy Spirit and he takes that word that is a dead letter in a book and he makes it come alive to you. It hits you. It's what I call a sticky word. This is what I call it. You say, how do I know that God's speaking to me? I'm seeking God. I'm renewing my mind. I'm asking him, Lord, I don't want to make a mistake. How do I know that it's from God? Well, it has to line up with God's word, of course, but one of the ways that you can tell when all that's in line is, how sticky is it? Have you ever read the word and, 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 and out of that, a scripture comes and it just sticks to you? You can't, wow, wow. God's high, it's stick. God is speaking to you. That's not just you enjoying and learning the word and going, oh yes, this is true. I need to do this. I need to be a bit more obedient here. All that's wonderful. But sometimes something comes out of the Bible and it sticks and that is God's spirit working on it. There's something about that scripture that is important for your life. It could be a prophecy. It could be to help you get through what's coming. It could be to encourage you. All these things that God is doing, it's there for you. And, and don't be like many charismatic Christians are. The word comes out. You're reading it. It sticks to you. There's a highlighter of the Holy Spirit on you. You go, oh, praise the Lord. And two weeks later, you've forgotten about it. Why? Because you didn't recall or record what God was speaking to you. You didn't do it. You just had a bless me moment. Sometimes when you're in a sermon or a teaching, 
during the sermon and teaching, and you're learning, and hopefully it's good, and you're growing. But some things the preacher says, it sticks. You go, oh my goodness, that's just hit me. That's, that's what, what that, that phrase or that point, bang. It's not just I'm learning and growing, but this thing's sticky. And you go away, and the sermon may have been interesting, but there's one thing or two things that you walk away with. It's a sticky word. God, by his spirit, is speaking to you. You're in prayer, and you're praying for something, and something comes into your mind, a picture or a word, and it sticks. It's God speaking to you. You're in a cell group, or, or you're being prayed for later on tonight, and somebody prays over you, and that prayer begins to be touched and directed by the Spirit, and it's not just a prayer of supplication, but it has upon it a stickiness of the Spirit that begins to speak in your life. These are God's precious promises. This is walking by the Spirit, and God intends these sticky words for us to live by them. Live by them. I said last week, you need to get yourself a book of promises for sticky words. You don't just write anything in this. This isn't about going to the bookshop and buying those little boxes of promises and saying, I like that one, oh, that's a nice one, don't want that one, like this one. What's that got to do with the spirit? What's that got to do with the promise? What's that got to do with faith? Just picking a bit here and there and saying, oh, I'll have that promise. Now, you can believe God's word. I'm talking something at a higher level, aren't I? I'm talking about something that must come by the Spirit. Because faith comes by the Spirit. And the promise comes by the Spirit. Abraham didn't go to God and say, God, um, could you give me a promise, please, for an Isaac? No, it comes from the Lord. We are his servants and we say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. Look at Mary. Mary's there and an angel comes. And what does the angel give her? A promise to believe in. John the Baptist's father, a promise to believe. I mean, everything, you just go through the Old and the New Testament and those that were God's, it's the promise of the Spirit with the requirement of faith's partnership with the Spirit that takes them through. And so I'm asking you to consider the promises of God, to go back in your life and think about when God really has spoken to you and write it down. To hear God and to write these things down and like Timothy, use the promises of God to navigate your Christian life. The promises of God, God's word to you in all its forms, is your navigation satellite system. Otherwise what happens is you end up in a place where you're just trying to do the best thing all the time. You're a Christian so I guess I should, but you know, but when you've got the promise you have a destination and the promise that God gives you, when God gives you, he's sovereign, can't twist his arm, but you can be open to it. When God speaks, you put that down there and then you've got something it will navigate you. When the devil tries to knock you off, you remember the promise of God. And this is why we have prayer partners, so we can share the promises of God. Some promises of God I've shared with people. Some promises of, in here are frankly so personal that the only person I would let look is my wife because they're too personal. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
but many of them we can share with people. We can say, I think God's speaking to me about this because we are a people of promise, a people of promise. We don't want to end up being a people of promise that act in the flesh. Do you remember last week I spoke about the next generation? We had Esau and Jacob. Interestingly enough, isn't it, what's interesting is this. Abraham, though he followed the promise of God for his life, he wished Ishmael was, would inherit. Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. It's so easy to be caught in the things that are natural instead of sticking to the promise. And then even Isaac wanted to bless Esau. But Jacob, what did Jacob do? Jacob tried to inherit the promises of God through carnal means. And so he, put, he dressed himself as Esau. He used the hands, because he put hair on his hands. It was like, why, Jacob, would you use the hands of Esau to grasp the promise? Do you think God was pleased with Jacob when he deceived his father? He used the hands of Esau to grasp his promise. And out of doing that, he spent years in a terrible place where he didn't need to be, with Laban, who was twice the twister that Jacob was. He had to run in fear from his brother. You see, when you, when you try to operate the promises through carnal means, then what will happen is you will cause great trouble for others and great trouble for yourselves. I've seen over the years in the ministry that sometimes a minister of a church or something like that can get a promise from God and they believe they've got it from God and they have got it from God. But they will do anything to bring that to pass. They will lie, they will cheat, they will steal, they will, they will fight, they will, they, they, they will ride roughshod across all the principles of the fruit of the Spirit because to them the end, the promised end, justifies the means. And sometimes they do get the promise, but by the time they've got the promise, they're a wreck. I've known Christian ministers who have operated the promises of God with Esau's hands, end up absolute wrecks and destroyed as human beings at the end of it because operating by the flesh brings destruction. You hear what I'm saying? And whatever they achieve, praise the Lord for. But they sought to get God's promises through carnal means. And, and that. But if you're an Isaac, if you, if you do it the right way, if you believe God, if you follow the principles of the word, the spirit, the fruit of God, then what will happen is you will, you will be protected. And you will get to the destination. And the things of God will come to pass. And, and you will be like Abraham at the end of his years, he was strong at the end of his years as he was at the beginning, the Bible says. He had great eyesight, full of vigor. Why? Because in the end, he learned very quickly, don't do it the flesh way. I mean, look, he had enough pain with his Ishmael. He was instructed by God to send Ishmael away. And this is where I, I finish. He was instructed by God to, to send Ishmael away. We read that in Galatians 4.28. Why? Because Ishmael began to persecute Isaac. When Isaac was born and Abraham wanted to put on a great celebration as the boy grew 
And Ishmael persecuted Isaac. He mocked Isaac. You see, the things of the spirit are not the things of the flesh. The things of the promise are not the things of this earth. This is wisdom from heaven, not wisdom from earth. And the earth doesn't like it. And so you will find that when you walk by the spirit, the thing that you will have to fight will be the spirit of Ishmael. Because the spirit of Ishmael tries to make you like itself. The spirit of Ishmael is provocative. It tries to provoke the flesh within you. It tries to get you to fight on Ishmael's terms. Because Ishmael knows he'll win if he fights on Ishmael's terms. Because Ishmael was a strong older boy, a bully boy. And Isaac was a weak, uh, young, frail boy. And so Ishmael wanted to provoke Isaac into a fight on his terms. But you know, throughout Isaac's life, he did not fight. He did not war according to the carnality of this world. But Isaac did his warring in heaven. He took his problems to God. He didn't fight over those um, wells. He took it to God. He was constantly in the evening doing business with God. Because quite frankly, Isaacs can't compete with Ishmael's on Ishmael's terms. I hear a word of the Lord. There's some people who are listening to this here today. I don't know where. But you have been, you are an Isaac. You're a Christian. All Christians are right. You have been competing on Ishmael's terms. You have been contending and fighting and manipulating or whatever it is. You've been fighting Ishmael with Ishmael. And Ishmael is beating you, exhausting you. It's not working. It's taking you away from God. Why? Because you're carnal, fighting Ishmael on Ishmael's terms. And Ishmael will defeat you. And God is calling you back to be a child of the promise. To stop manipulating or using your own natural wisdom. And to go to God and to take the promise and to be obedient to sanctify yourself to the promise. The problem with the children of Israel was that they didn't sanctify themselves to the promise. They wandered in the wilderness. They'd been given a promised land, for goodness sake. And they wandered in the wilderness. They refused the promise. They didn't trust that God could do it. They murmured against the promise. And then when God said, you shall not enter, that's when they entered. How wicked can you get? God tells you to enter and you won't. And then God said, you shall not enter and you try. And you try to enter the promised land in the flesh and you get slaughtered. And then you wander around. Yes, you've got, God's not left you. You're still saved. You've got the manna in the morning, the fire at night and the pillar during the day. But you're not going anywhere because without the promise, you just end up in a cycle of discouragement, despair and eventually hopelessness. The reason many Christians get into carnal fights and church splits is because they're wandering around in the wilderness. They've got nothing better to do. Take away the promise from the Christian's life. They've got nothing better to do than fight and get into pathetic discussions about things that don't matter and gnats, you know, things of, of absolutely no value to the kingdom of God, fighting and getting offended. And why? Wilderness mentality. You've got nothing better to do. When you're going around in a circle, you're going to start fighting amongst one another. But when you've got a promise, you have a direction. 
You have a purpose. When things happen, you are molded to the promise. The promise becomes you. You become the promise. You become one with the promise. And God's work in your life will only come by promise. He will not mold you in the wilderness. He will only mold you when you begin to follow the promise. If you don't follow the promise, you won't mature. You'll get older. You'll learn more scriptures, hear more sermons. But that's, it's the promise. It was God's Promise by the partnership of the Spirit through faith is God's way of shaping us. He will not shape you by the law. He will not shape you by church rules. He will not shape you in the wilderness. He will not shape you on your terms. He will only shape you according to his promise. He will not accept your Ishmael. He will not accept your Ishmael. We need to cast out Ishmael, cast him out. Oh, I don't want to cast out Ishmael, Abraham says. Cast him out. Leave him to me. Get rid of him. Sometimes the Ishmael in us or the Ishmael around us, we're very fond of, carnally fond of, but we need to be people of the promise. Amen. I'm going to invite the ministry team to come on the platform straight away while we begin to pray. Father, The whole of the Bible speaks of us being a people of promise. Let's stay focused. Everybody you used, you gave a promise to. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of faith. And Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of promise. These three things, the promise faith and the spirit. Lord, we come to you as children of the promise, not children of a religion. And we say, Lord, we have got shared promises in the scriptures, the promise of your return, the promise, help us to follow them. But also on my heart, Lord, is the specific promises for daily, weekly, monthly, even lifelong that you want to impart to us, that we can record and live by the precious promises the rhema, the sword of the Spirit, that which Timothy was told to do, so that we can live by the Spirit and the Word. Lord, we ask you now to visit us with the spirit of prophecy. Perhaps from this platform today, we will have promises or prophecies that some of us will hear from you that are speaking into our present circumstance or our future situation, that we can go away tonight with a word from you to live by. We do not live by bread alone, but every word that is proceeding, present tense, out of the word of God. If we don't go away with a word tonight, we know that there's already words that we need to take off the shelf and put back in our lives. And during this week, you're going to be speaking to us as we make ourselves available in the name of Jesus, can I have a... uh, Oh, thanks, you're already there, thanks. Okay, come forward, everyone. Who's who's going to kick us off? Yeah? Yeah, Yeah. we'll get, we'll go... Yeah, come, come, you you can... (laughs) Go ahead, just go ahead, yeah. Hi, um, when we was downstairs praying, we prepared for about an hour, and um, I just felt that there's someone here that um, has got a situation with their benefit... And they've got to go to the benefits office this week. And um, they're concerned about it. 
Um, that's what I really felt the Lord Is the Lord saying? He's saying all is well. There's no need to worry. And, um, you know, if you want a word of encouragement, come up for prayer. Yeah. Yes, after we've given these words, we're going to open the front for prayer. And you can come for any prayer that you need. And you don't have to just respond to prophecy, but any prayer that you need. And maybe there, the, 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 the ministry team will be open to give you words. Yeah. Come forward. Thank you. Um, I sense in my spirit that there's someone here. It's got to do with mortgage. You've been struggling with the mortgage and um, the mortgage company is sort of like threatening you for reposition. But um, the Lord is saying to you that he's going to turn things around and you, you know, you'll give a testimony to his glory. Okay. Who's next? Yeah. Come forward so everyone can see you. I sense in my spirit, there are two people here. You have that burden. Say again, sorry. There are two people, you have that burden to go for a mission trip, but you are struggling with the finances. God spoke to me that you should come out so that we can believe on the word of God by faith so that you can, we can be able to get your finances solved by either favor or any other means. So if you, this word applies to you, come out so that we can pray over it. Yeah. When we were praying downstairs, I believe God um, had a word that there was a man in his middle years and he had like a throat problem. He's been to see somebody about it. It's like on one side of his throat, but he's very concerned about that. Come and we'll pray for you. Next. Yep. Yep, go ahead. And then Brett, come forward, come forward. Um, I believe there's somebody here who, um, I, I, I saw, I saw a, a sense to somebody who has an issue with their throat, their digestion, and I think they're um, dependent on a medication. It's, it's, I, I could see the, the name of the medicine, like cowling. It's something that you shake, and it's supposed to soothe this condition. But I, but I believe that God wants to heal you tonight because he wants to show you that you have become dependent on the medication, but he wants you to be dependent on his healing directly, whether he uses the medication or you know, whether he does it supernaturally. And the other word I had was for people who, um, they're struggling with the word intimacy. Um, every time the word intimacy is mentioned in any, you know, if they come across it in the context of intimacy with Christ, um, there's people who they struggle with it because their experience, their past experience has been um, invasive, intrusive. It's, you know, a toxic form of intimacy they've known. And God wants to change that because he does want that intimacy. But it, 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 the, the sense I felt was that there was a fear of this intimacy because of what it, it, it means from experience. And he wants to change that experience. Yeah, I uh, didn't know I was actually going to be on the ministry team until tonight. But while we were downstairs for evangelism, I was, I was praying and I actually had a word and I didn't feel it was for anyone down there. But I believe that there's somebody here and you're a woman and you've got a cyst on your ovary and you've been diagnosed by the doctor that you can't have any children. I believe there's a leaf of healing uh, in this place tonight uh, to do with the growth on your, on your stomach in your womb. If, uh, if that's you tonight, just lift your hand and receive the, uh, the miracle that you've been asking the Lord for in Jesus' name. 
and come out and we'll pray for you as well. Um, during the present worship, I got this sense that um, somebody or maybe a few people, you've hurt your left foot and your ankle in particularly uh, just recently, maybe over the last two or three days. And I'm just believing that as you come forward for prayer, that pain is going to be removed completely. And also I got a, a sense of like... Um, Confirmation for those of you standing on the promise for household salvation, maybe your children or a distant relative you believe in for salvation. Um, yeah, I'd love to pray for you, with you on that promise of household salvation. And somebody here has got a job interview either tomorrow or Tuesday, specifically. You might have an interview on Friday. I'll pray with you. But for those who have got a job interview tomorrow or Tuesday, um, I want to pray with you for that. For that. Uh... Next. Yeah, 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 you. Okay. Um, I bang on a lot about Bible school because I really believe in people coming and really receiving from God and really receiving what he's um, got for you and for your life and for the people that you're called to minister to. But I believe that there's some people here, I don't know how many, but you're asking the wrong questions. You're asking the questions, how am I going to afford it? What is my boss going to say? How am I going to make time? How am I going to do all the study? All of that is the wrong question. There's only one question. Are you called to come to Bible school? And if you're called, yeah. and you'll know it because you'll feel the anointing on your life, you'll feel it come upon you, you know you're called to come to Bible school, then everything else will fall into line. And you need to start taking those steps and going forward. That specifically, some of you know that you're called to it, and you need to start moving forward with those applications and coming. Thank you. Um, the word I got was education. Uh, there's two groups of people, I believe. One is people who are not believers, maybe here tonight. And education has stopped you from taking that step of faith to Jesus. And for you to reconsider that this ain't no fairy tale. It is real. It is God. You will find as you move forward in it that it is truly real. And also some believers here tonight where education has actually stopped you from moving into the fullness of the joy of the Lord. There are certain areas of scripture that you're struggling with, that evolution, etc., has interfered with that. So you need to pray through that and get a breakthrough in that as well. Anyone else? Is there anybody else after this? Okay. Uh, this one just came to me when Pastor Bruce was preaching about the, word, the promise. The Lord is saying that there are so many promises in people's lives that because of unbelief, those promises has not come to pass. So the Lord is asking us to believe. When we believe in him, there is nothing he cannot do. Amen, amen, wonderful. Okay, ministry team, we're gonna go down. So what we're gonna do now, we're gonna open up the floor for about 15 minutes. Uh, if you need to go, or you're welcome to go, of course, whenever you want to go, but uh, we're going to worship the Lord. Maybe the Lord will just speak to you where you are, remind you of things that he's spoken to you, reactivate prophecies and words. But if any of those things made sense to you that were prophecies, please come out and be prayed for. But also, if you want prayer for something specific, come out as well during this time as ministering to the Lord so that we can minister to you. Let's all stand together. We're going to minister to the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to minister through the ministry team right now.